Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be in verses uh, uh, 1 through 6 this morning. And uh, so this isn't going to be uh, your typical Christmas sermon. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, when you get to preach the day after Christmas, you try to decide, do I do a Christmas sermon or a non-Christmas sermon? So I said, let's do both. So, you know, meet somewhere in the middle. So we should be good. Uh, but Christmas is over. Uh, and throughout this week, uh, as the week goes on, uh, we'll start to uh, de-Christmasify our house and our lives. The, the lights come down, the tree goes up, we start getting back to normal as we approach a new year of 2022. That just sounds weird right? 2022. If you're like me, uh, next weekend, uh, it's to be 2022, but I'm still going to say 2021. I'll probably still write it down. Uh, it's just, it takes a while to get used to it. Uh, well, the one thing that comes with the new year, and many of us start thinking about this week, are our New Year's resolutions, right? A lot of us like to get our list out, make out resolutions. Of course, the big one is to get healthy, uh, work out. Uh, of course, you can look at me and go the working out part, not on my resolution list, right? And so we, we try to get things moving towards uh, the goals that we have set for the year. Maybe it's we're working towards a, a new promotion or maybe a new job. Maybe we're like, hey, we want to, whatever it is that we want to uh, make resolutions in our lives. Maybe be a better husband, a better father, a uh, better mother, a better wife, maybe better kids. Might not even pay attention. So I'm going to make that their resolution. Listen to me for once, right? Amen. All right. I'll be honest with you. I do not like resolutions. I've never big, uh, been one to make resolutions, but I'm going to be honest with you, one year I did. All right? Now Sarah's going to laugh at this, because my resolutions aren't like y'all. Like Other people, they like put real stuff on their resolution list. I'm going to put weird stuff on mine. You know? like, so one year, it was probably about four or five years ago, I decided this year, it was like 2016, 2017, I was like, this is the year I start to drink coffee. That was my resolution. Right? I mean, because I've always loved the smell of coffee. I think the coffee drinking lifestyle just looks cool. You know, sitting at Starbucks, you got your coffee up out, out there, you know, you got your laptop, your iPad, doing whatever it is that you guys do on that thing. I don't know, right? I'm what you call a poser, okay? If you see me in a Starbucks, I've got hot chocolate in my mug. If you see me with a mug or a thermos, I either got hot chocolate in there or I'm keeping my sweet tea cold, okay? Like, that's it. Like, there is no coffee in there, right? Here's the thing. That year, I said I was going to drink coffee. So I made some coffee, super excited. I'm like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink this. I'm going to love it. I took like a couple sips, and I poured it out, y'all. I decided this unsweet tea is better than coffee. I mean, it is. And so and I've tried it since then. Like, I've, I've tried. Like, it just, you know, Jamocha Shake as close as I get is Arby's, right? And so I've tried. I've, you know, Sarah will get some things from Starbucks. I've had some. It's not good. I just decided I'm just too young for coffee, y'all. All right? Just too young, right? But this morning what I want to do is look at uh, the story of Christmas and see how Christmas should propel us uh, past the holidays to get our minds uh, right and to pursue Christ uh, above everything, right? I mean, you look at the story of Christmas and we have uh, this, this image in our mind, we have this image of, of the stable and we have the image of, of this manger and there lies baby Jesus. When we look at that, that, that image of Jesus, we should automatically see the cross. Because Jesus, when he, he didn't come this life just so we can have this Christmas holiday season and do all the things, he came to die, right? And so we should see the cross. But because he came to die, because he came 
and he took on the full wrath of God because of that, it should propel us to live for Christ every single day. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to dive into these first six verses of Matthew chapter 2 and see what God has in store for us. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Starting in verse 1, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw a star that's rising and have come to worship him. When he Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written in the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Let's pray. Father God, I pray as we get ready to dive into your word. Lord, I pray, God, that your spirit will move within our hearts, God. But I pray, Father God, this morning, Lord, that I will get behind the cross and make much of you this morning, Lord. It's all about you. And I pray, Lord, this morning, Lord, that it will be for each of us, Lord, all about you. And that your spirit will move in our hearts, Lord, to teach us, to guide us, to show us, Father God, where in our life, Lord, that we could improve to be more like you. Things, Lord, that we might want to take away, Lord, as we ask ourselves this morning, which kingdom are we? God, we thank you, Lord, once again for the cross. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sam, I'm going to ask you a weird question this morning. It's the first question I'm going to ask, and the question is, what kingdom are you? Weird question, just walking us on, hey, what kingdom are you? You're probably thinking, hey, this is America, 2021. We don't have kingdoms, right? Uh, but what kingdom are you? Because what we see in the Christmas story, especially the passages that we're going to be reading, we see two kingdoms clashing. We see the kingdom of Herod and the kingdom of, of Christ that come clashing together within this Christmas story. But for us this morning, the kingdom of Herod is going to be the kingdom of self, right? Like, if you look at sin, what is the root of sin? The root of sin is selfishness. The root of sin is me. The, the root of sin is what I want, of what my selfish desires are. That's the root of sin. So there's two kingdoms. You have the kingdom of Herod, but in this case, it's going to be the kingdom of self. And the kingdom of self is, is full of, of pride and arrogance and selfishness. And whatever you want to put there, whatever that is, maybe it's a kingdom of lust, maybe it's a kingdom of greediness, whatever you want to put there, that is our kingdom. So we're going to look at that, and then the kingdom of Christ, and ask which kingdom are you? Of course, when you ask that, that question this morning, most of us sit there and go, oh man, kingdom of Christ, man, yeah, I'm all about Jesus, you know? But now which one do we claim throughout our daily lives? Which one do we represent the most? Is the kingdom of self, or is the kingdom of Christ? I can claim the kingdom of Christ all day long. But if my lifestyle says other words, I'm not really claiming the kingdom of Christ. So we're going to look at these two kingdoms this morning and see where we fall. The first kingdom we're going to look at is the kingdom of Herod, the kingdom of self. But before we look at the kingdom of Herod, uh, I want us to understand uh, who Herod is. Because you understand more about Herod, you kind of understand more about uh, his kingdom and what he represented. Okay, so Herod, he was a rich dude. Like, he was what we would call absolutely loaded. If we were to put Herod in like a modern day sense, Herod, Herod was kind of like Elon Musk, okay? Like he had the cash, the cash was coming in, and the cash wasn't stopping. Like, like Herod was absolutely loaded. The one thing we need to know about Herod is Herod was all about Herod. Herod cared about Herod. Herod cared about the image of Herod. Herod was all about Herod. Everything Herod did was all about Herod, okay? He wanted, he had this aspiration that he wanted to be the Herod the Great, this great king, the greatest king that ever lived. So Herod was all about making sure that that happened. He had the funds to do it. He had the resources. Let's make it happen. So this morning, we're going to look at three things real quick 
that Herod builds. And these three things are what Herod builds, and it kind of points to just who Herod really was. Because things that Herod did, yeah, people may have benefited from it, but it, was, it wasn't about the people. It wasn't about God. Everything he did was all about Herod. The first thing he builds, he, he built something called Masada. Now, you know, I don't know if you ever heard of Masada. Masada can be found uh, on this mountaintop. It's 1,300 feet uh, above the Dead Sea, right? And Masada was this dynamic, beauty, I mean, just engineered, just marvelous structure that was on this mountaintop. And people look at it and just be marvel at what, who Herod is. Like, man, Herod can do that? That is awesome. And on this mountaintop, he had these, these cisterns. And a cistern is basically something that holds water. And some researchers believe, I don't know if this is true, but some researchers hold that they believe that he could fit up to 10 million gallons of water within these cisterns, right? Now, if that holds to be true, we're probably thinking, uh, why would Herod need 10 million gallons of water? And Herod would tell you, why not, right? Like, because I can. I'm Herod, and I can do it. So he'd have these cisterns full of water, and so people would look at Masada, and they would see, oh man, Herod, he's awesome, he's great second thing we see is, is Herod, uh, the second temple, or the temple mount, right? So, so you know Solomon's temple, then Herod, he, builds, he, he rebuilds the temple the second time. And this temple, size comparison, is, you can't compare the two temples. Like, Herod had one mode. He did everything big. Like, he just went huge, man. I mean, the bigger, the better for Herod. I remember Tim the Toolman Taylor, and he was like, more power, har, 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 har. You know, Herod was like that, but he was like, like size. Like, man, this is go big, man. You know, they probably had a couple of blueprint rough drafts. He's like, man, that's too small. Let's go bigger, you know? And you look at the size of the two temples, like Solomon's temple's here, and Herod's temple's like, boom, here. You know, this huge temple mount, man, you can see it from just miles away. Now, he didn't do this, so then, uh, for the people, he didn't do this for the people to, to just, you know, find the temple easier, or, or hey, look at, look at the temple so you can go worship God. You know, he didn't do this for God. He did this so people could see the temple and go, oh, man, look what Herod did. Saying Herod is all about Herod. So he's built Masada, he's built this, this Temple Mountain. One of the last things, one of the things he did that might be uh, one of the most impressive uh, is Herodium. Basically, this town that he built. Uh, but what was impressive was he actually built the hill that Herodium would, would be on. I mean, think about that. For, for the time that he lived in, basically, he found this, this flat area and he's like, hey, I want to build. A town. I'm going to build a palace right here. But by the way, we need to build a hill first, flatten the hilltop, and then I'm going to build stuff up there, right? I mean, the dude just had those kind of resources. Like people just marvel probably over it. It's like, man, he that dude just built a hill, not just a hill, but he put a palace up there, you know. And Herodium was this beautiful place. What was interesting about Herodium is it sat three miles outside of Bethlehem. And you're probably asking me, why on earth are you giving this history lesson on Herod? Because one, it paints a picture of who Herod is, what Herod was about, and two, because where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, right? He was literally born during the reign of one of the most greatest, powerful kings they had ever seen. And he was born in the backyard of one of his greatest structures Herod had ever built. And there was Jesus being born. So Herod's kingdom, all about power, wealth, selfishness, arrogance, getting his name out there. Look what I did. Which we actually have more in common with Herod than we think we do, right? I mean, we're pretty selfish ourselves. We can, 
we can claim a lot of things, and our kingdom might, little, might have different building blocks, but it's all built on the same term, selfishness, right? Which leads us to our next kingdom, which is uh, the kingdom of Christ. And the kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of humility and peace, not like Herod. So I'll do something for me. I want you guys to picture or think about this, okay? Uh, not like in kindergarten, you got to close your eyes and like, want you picture a beach? Like, don't do that, you know? I want you to think for a minute that you're God. I'm not saying you are God. Don't leave here and go, man, chances we're gods, you know? Like, that's not what I'm saying. Pretend for a minute that you are God. And it's time for your son, the Savior of the world, the very one that you would place your entire wrath upon, time for him to be born, right? And you're being born during the reign of King Herod. Now, us, we might have the mindset, man, I'm going to one-up King Herod. Like King Herod, man, he's all about flash and stuff. Man, watch this. That might be what we're tempted to do. You know? I mean, this is your son, the Savior, the Messiah, the promised Messiah is about to come into the world. And if it was up to you and I, we're probably like flashing the news everywhere. You know, everyone's getting the, the little, you know, buzzer things going off on their phone. The Messiah's being born. You know, we're going to place a temple. It's going to be big. It's going to be beautiful. You know, I think of, of Aladdin, you know, you know, when Aladdin, he asked the genie that he wanted to be a prince to try to uh, woo and persuade Jasmine to fall in love with him. And, and he's like, I want to be a prince. And the genie's like, all right, I'll make, you a, I'll make you a prince. So it becomes Prince Ali, you know. And so what does the genie do? They start to come into Agrabah, and they make this huge ordeal of it, you know. I mean, you've got music, you've got animals, you've got dance, you've got the whole fireworks show and you know people start hear it coming in you know they start singing prince ali ali walla 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 i don't know the words all right don't laugh at me all right i don't know the words anyways so they're making a big ordeal and people hear this they see it coming through and they're like well who's this guy like everyone's blown away but jasmine one person he wants right everyone else like man who is this king ali i want like even the sultan's like this king ali is awesome like a huge show coming through that's how we would probably be tempted to bring jesus in the world like Boom! Big flash. Here's Jesus. The whole world knows here is the Messiah. But that's not how God chooses to bring him in. Right? It's not flashy. It's very quiet. Right? We probably picture Jesus being born in this palace, this mansion, but it's not how God decides to do things. Where's Jesus born? Think about it. He's king, kings, lord of lords, Savior of all mankind. And he's born in a stable. Not very king-like, is it? Then they place him in a feeding trough where the animals were eating. Not very king-like, is it? Like, if our kids was born, and they're like, hey, you can put them right here, the pig ate there, we'd probably be like, yeah, I don't think so. Right? They're like, oh, here's, we'll just place Jesus here. Not very kingly. Jesus, he would, we don't know much about his childhood. We know this enough. Jesus, he, he didn't grow up with wealth. He didn't have servants. He didn't have the things you would think a king would have. Especially not God's son. He was just a son of a carpenter. A very average dude, right? He learned the trait from his dad. He was a carpenter himself. And then it came time for Jesus when he was an adult. Uh, he was making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. What does he ride in town on? A donkey. Again, 
not very king-like, is it? And the people there, they take off their coats and they take palm trees, branches, they start laying down. I mean, it's not exactly a red carpet. The paparazzi's out there trying to snag a picture. He comes riding into town, not very king-like. Matter of fact, the very people who would sing his praises and worship him that day, a week later would turn around and yell for him to be crucified, not the way a king would be treated. Right? Which we know this led to one of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest friends, betraying him. By then he put on trial, mocked, beaten, eventually led to the cross, led to death, which led to his burial and resurrection. None of that screams, Now oh, that's the Son of God, right? When you look at his life, you're like, that's not how we would picture it. The people uh, of then, they didn't picture it. That's why, that's why they missed the whole Messiah thing, because they pictured this whole political leader, this dude coming down with fire and, and striking down the kings and taking over Israel. But that's not how God operated. See, the very first time that sin entered the world, God put this plan in action that Jesus would come. He would take the sins of the world upon his body, take it to the cross. He had this plan in action, and everything happened the exact way that God so we look at the story or the birth of Christ. We look at the cross. Because without the birth, the birth of Christ, there is no death. Without the death, there's no burial. Without the burial, there's no resurrection. Without the death, burial, and resurrection, what do we have? Right? What do we have? So Christ's kingdom is all about uh, a kingdom of humility and peace. You can look at the way that God orchestrated the entire birth and life of Christ. Not flashy. I mean, Jesus did some amazing things. I mean, he healed people, healed the sick, healed the blind, made crippled walk, even brought dead people back to life. Like, the dude did some things that are, that we can't even fathom, right? He did that to point to himself that he is the true son of God, and those who would follow him would know that. But it all led to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Which is the point of the whole Christmas season, Right? That we are dead in our sin, but Jesus, God did not leave us in that. He says, here is my son, so that he can grow up, take our sins to the cross for us. There's nothing we can do about that, but Christ could. So that one day we can put our faith, our hope, and our trust in him to follow him. So absolutely, Christmas should absolutely propel us into the new year with our mind set on Christ. Because we look at the birth of Christ and go, you know what, that is... I see the birth, but man, I see the cross, and man, I see what Jesus did, and that alone should propel us enough to live for him wholeheartedly. But here we go. I'm just not getting into the passage. So here we go. All right? I, don't, I won't be long, I promise. So here it is in, in, in chapter 2. So the, the wise men are come on the scene. This is what happens. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So the wise men step on the scene. There's been a star in the sky. They have followed it faithfully for two years. They, they finally get on the scene and they roll up into Jerusalem. They roll up into King Herod and they ask him, where is this baby born to be king of the Jews? But who do they ask? They ask the current king of the Jews, right? I don't know about you, but if you're a king and someone says, that, hey, you're, there's a king that's been born, 
you know, it probably didn't sell, it didn't sell over with Herod, right? He's, a, he's sitting on the throne. He's the current king of the Jews. And, this, and these dudes, they don't, he doesn't even know, walk in. And he's all like, hey, man, the king of the Jews, the real king of the Jews, he was born in Bethlehem. We're looking for him. You know where he's at? Does not set well with Herod at all. Like, like, like the hair was all about Herod, okay? Herod had this fear that he was going to be overthrown, that people would take, you know, his power away from him. So, of course, Herod did not like the news that this king of the Jews was born. What's fascinating is this, though. Somewhere within the conversation between the wise men, something clicks within Herod. And this is what happens in verse 4. He says, So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people who asked him, where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So somewhere along the conversation that uh, Herod and these wise men were having, something clicked within Herod. He's like, wait a minute. I need the chief priest. I need the scribes. Get him here now. They get in there, and he asks them a question. Where did the prophet say that the Messiah is going to be born. They're like Bethlehem. Right? So now the, 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 the dots are connected. The puzzle pieces are coming together. Baby born, he's claiming to be king of the Jews. Okay. The Messiah? Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Bethlehem. Okay, so, okay. And they're saying, they're asking for the king of the Jews who has to be born in Bethlehem. The dots are connected. The puzzle pieces are coming together. And no one but the wise men want to find this baby Jesus so they can worship him. Herod doesn't respond like that. The chief, the chief priests and scribes don't respond like that. Herod, he's the opposite. He's like, I want to kill this baby. Like, it's kind of gruesome. Like, he's like, I want to kill him. I forget worshiping him. I want to put this kid in the ground, you know. So he tells the wise men, he's like, there's one what you guys to do. You go find him. When you find him, you come tell me so I can go worship him too. Now, Herod, he was, all, man, he, was, he was just playing mind games at this point. He's like, I'm not going to just go worship him. I'm going to go. I'm bringing an army, and we're going to slaughter this kid. Of course, God intervenes, and he tells the wise men to go back a different way. And by the time Herod runs what's going on, he just gets angry, and he's like, all right, this is what we're going to do. All right, we're going to take care of this problem right here right now. This is what we're going to do. He gets his guys together. He says, here's the plan. I want you to go into Bethlehem, around Bethlehem, any child you find two years or younger, I want you to kill him. Like Herod was messed up in the head. He's all about Herod. Ain't no, ba- ain't no baby being born to take my spot. I don't think so. I'm going to take care of this now. But what's interesting is he understood enough to ask about the Messiah. The scribes and chief priests, they understood enough of the Old Testament law. They understood enough of the words of the prophets that they made the connection. Yeah, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Right? And they did absolutely nothing about it. I don't want you to miss this. Right? They had enough knowledge of what the Scriptures taught to identify what was going on. And they didn't do anything. Right? I want you to understand this, church. Knowledge of the Scriptures does not mean that our heart is right with God. Knowledge of the Scripture does not mean our heart is right with God. Obedience to the Word of God equates to our lives being right with God. Right? I can know this book. I can quote it. I can tell you the books of the Bible in order. 
I can tell you all the major themes that go on in the Bible. But that doesn't mean my heart's right. God doesn't mean I have spiritual maturity. Because God looks at that and probably goes, okay. Because God equates spiritual maturity. He equates being right with him when we live in obedience according to this right here. That's what God wants. I heard this uh, one time as an illustration. It fits this morning. Imagine with me, you know, you walk in the living room and you see your son, Billy. You tell Billy, and parents, you've probably been here a couple of times. You tell Billy, Billy, go clean your room. You know, Billy, go clean your room. So you leave expecting Billy to clean his room. Now, parents, we know good and well when you get back, what did Billy not do? He did not clean his room, right? We know that, okay? All right? If you're like my kids, you say, go clean your room. You walk in there, the, the room's messier because I started playing instead, right? And so you get in the room, you come back, and Billy's sitting there, and you go, Billy, did you clean your room? No, I didn't clean my room, but I memorized it. I, I talked amongst my friends. We talked about what you meant. What do you mean by go clean your room? You know, what do you think it meant? You know, look, Dad, I can say it in the Greek, you know. But there was no obedience to it. That's how it is with us. You know, in that moment, man, we would, we would not be pleased with our son. If I looked at Billy, I go, Billy, that's not what I asked you to do. I didn't ask you to, you know, quote it back to him. I didn't ask you to tell me what you thought it meant. I told you to clean your room, you know. Exactly how it should be with God. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to obey it. Now here's the thing. The more we follow Christ, the more we pursue after Christ, absolutely the more of this we know. But the more of this we know, the more obedient we should live to Christ. And but it all starts with the pursuit of who Christ is. Right? Remember, to be in a kingdom means you submit to the way, the authority, and the leadership of the king. That's what it means to be in a kingdom. You're submitting to the ruler, to the king. You're submitting to his rules, to his laws, to his commands. You're submitting to him. So when we ask the question, which king are we, which kingdom are we in? Which kingdom are we submitting to? The kingdom of self or the kingdom of Christ? So what happens is the more I pursue of Christ, the more I get to know Christ. The more I get to know Christ, the more I submit to him. The more I submit to him, the more I want to obey him. It's just the natural way of things. Because if I'm truly pursuing Christ, the more I get to know Christ, the more Christ affects my life. I have no choice. I just want more of him. I want to be more obedient to him. That's the, that's the natural reaction because of who Christ is. But if there's no pursuit, then none of that other stuff follows. And that's the thing is, you know, if I asked you a question this morning, what is the goal? I'll stop walking on that side. If what is the goal of the Christian life? The goal is to be holy, right? Like, like, like that is the goal. That's the goal. That's that's the goal, holiness, to be more like Christ. Now when we get there, not in these bodies, but we still pursue Christ everything we have. That's what it means to be in the kingdom of Christ. That, that, we're, that we're going to submit to him and follow him. We're going to mess up, but there's grace in that. God gives us grace. He forgives us, but we still pursue after Christ wholeheartedly, right? It doesn't mean that I'm going to open up my, my version app or break out my devotional and, and, and do my thing so I can go, oh, hey, I read my Bible today. No, it means I'm going to open up his word, hear what he teaches, take that, apply it to my life, and live in faithful obedience to him. 
so that when all is said and done, when my time is done, I may hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, because of the obedience that I lived to Christ in this life. So which kingdom do we belong to? The kingdom of self or the kingdom of Christ? We look no further than how we live our life. Sitting in this room, it's so easy to claim that, man, I live for the kingdom of Christ. But how do we live outside of these walls? What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing Christ? You're always pursuing something. You're not pursuing Christ. You're pursuing something else. You're always submitting to something. You're not submitting to Christ. You're submitting to something else. Okay, so what are we pursuing and what are we submitting? Because there's a kingdom that we're submitting to. There's a kingdom that we're following. But which one is it? Kingdom of Christ or kingdom of self? Now, if we're going to submit to the kingdom of Christ, there's one thing that we've got to know. If you are going to be part of the kingdom of Christ, it all begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot have, be a part of the kingdom of Christ unless you have a relationship with him. You just can't do it. It's not a membership you don't just show up to and like, hey man, I want to you know, get my membership, get my punch card, you know, get my free subway sandwich later on. You know, like, like, like it is a, a committing, submitting to him and giving our life to him so we'd have a relationship with him. That is the point of Christmas. Our relationship, because of our sin, was broken with God. Christ came to restore that relationship for us. So he goes to the cross for, our, for, our, for us for our, for our sins are to the cross, our, our shame, whatever you want to call it, it's to the cross. Christ took care of it so that one day we can put our faith, our hope, and our trust in him so that we can have eternal life with him. That is the whole point. That is the whole meaning of Christmas. But we cannot be a part of the kingdom of Christ unless we have a relationship with him. Can't do it. And some of us might be sitting thinking, you know what? I'm pretty messed up. I've done some things, said some, said some things. You have no idea what I've done. Man. I'm too messy to come to Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, that's one of the biggest lies out of the mouth of the devil that we've ever heard, okay? You cannot get clean and then come to Christ. It's like me going and playing in the mud and playing mud volleyball and then me going, I'll wait till I'm clean to take a shower, right? Like there's only one way I'm getting clean. That's to go wash off, right? I can't just sit there mud on me and just magically hope it goes away. No, I got I to gotta go, go bathe, right? I can't take care of my own sin. I can't get cleaned up. I come to Christ so he can take my sin from me. So he can clean me up. So his blood can wash over me and wash away my sins. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this morning you're thinking to yourself, you know, I've never given my life to Christ. Man, don't wait. If God's knocking on that door, if he's tugging at your heart, man, this morning, give your life to Christ. I invite you. I'll be down here. I'll be glad to talk to you. I'll show you and tell you who this Jesus guy is. Or maybe you're someone you're thinking, you know what? This last year, 2021, it has been, it has been rough. It has been messy. And I'm going to be honest with you, I, I have not been following Christ like I should. I've been following selfish desires. I've been following uh, my own uh, greedy ambitions, my own selfishness, my own pride. But I haven't been following Christ. This morning, dedicate 2022 to being all in for Jesus Christ. What would it look like if we had a church full of people who were dedicated all in, not just so they could, hey, I go to church, yeah, all that, I can claim the title of Christian, but man, I'm all in on Jesus and I'm pursuing him with everything that I have, submitting to him and everything. What would that look like if we did that? What would we do in our community if we live like that? So maybe that's you. Man, dedicate that year. Ask for forgiveness. 
Maybe there's something that God's placed on your heart. You're like, you know what? 2022, man, I want to be, I want to be actively witnessing and telling other about people about Christ. If there's someone that God's laid on your heart, man, pray about it. Pray over them. Pray that God gives you the, the window, the door, and things, the right things to say to them. Or whatever it is that God's tugging on your heart this morning, I invite you to come down. The altar's open. Give to Christ. Don't wait. It's too important not to. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.